Hey everybody, this is Chris Murphy with the Four Calls Fellows Podcast, and with me is my amazing co-host, Patrick Suka. Absolutely. Yes, the Four Collins Fellows Podcast is going to bring you information across all spectrums about everything there is to know about Northern Colorado and Fort Collins. We talk to mayors, CEOs, decision makers, and citizens and residents of the community who are really grooming the Fort Collins area and Northern Colorado area now and into the future. So it's an educational style podcast that if you are looking at making a decision potentially to move your family here or maybe to where to move within the community, this information might help you make some of those decisions. We are grateful for you to listen and we really hope you enjoy. Well, sweet. I uh, appreciate you joining us, Joe. We are both uh, local to Fort Collins and CSU obviously being a huge part of Fort Collins. It's great to have somebody who's really steering the ship and such an integral part of the health of the university and sports and athletics. You know, it's a, it's a huge part of, you know, division one schools and CSU is continually trying to grow and be a strong force to be reckoned with. So appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, you bet, Patrick. Thanks, Chris. Nice to be with both of you. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. This is great. We're looking, I got a bunch of questions. I'm curious. I asked my wife, we're interviewing the athletic director. Her first thing was how fast can you, can you run? And I was like, well he was a swimmer right joe that's right yeah. i was yeah i was a collegiate <laughs> swimmer not a runner but a, yeah. a swimmer. yeah i told my wife i would throw that in for her so she's like great let me know <laughs> not not a bad question though you know you think if someone's you know leading an athletics department they should have some in the athletic space but i gotta I give her out I got to give her credit, Joe. She went to Northwestern and she doesn't like anything to do with sports, but she still knows the football coach at Northwestern has been there. One of the longest like, coaches in the country. Was yeah. yeah. He's had so, a ton of success there. He's done a really nice job. Um, yeah. And obviously he was a part of their team when he was a student. So Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, Joe, talk uh, to us a little bit about kind of maybe a little background of you and how you uh, ended up at CSU. And then we'll, we'll kind of jump in from there. Yeah, sure. I, I, I'm a Midwestern uh, person, grew up in the Midwest in Michigan and, and uh, ended up going to the University of Michigan and was a student athlete when I was there. So that kind of set a little bit of my path on at least my awareness and interest for intercollegiate athletics as a potential career path. And, uh, you know, didn't didn't drill down hard on, enough on that and ended up working for a couple of years in a sales and marketing role in Chicago and then in Wisconsin and uh, ended up in grad school at the University of Texas, and that's when I thought, I, you know, I really miss the experience of being associated with Division One athletics. What would it be like to kind of forge a career in that space? And while I was in grad school, I got an internship at Texas as a in their fundraising unit for athletics, and that's where it began for me. I had a awesome experience. It felt like a very purpose driven career opportunity. You know, I really felt the mission of what intercollegiate athletics does for an institution and for the young people that are involved with it. And so just kept, kept my head down and kept grinding and trying to build the brand and how I represented myself in the workplace. And so I went from Texas to Washington state to Oklahoma, uh, to Michigan to be on staff there for eight years, Texas tech as their deputy athletics director, chief operating officer. And now I've been here almost seven and a half years as director of athletics here at CSU and Tell you, I've been so fortunate because every one of those stops I'd mentioned, each one of those jobs had been the best job I had at that moment, including this one. I mean, I absolutely love what I do. Love what I do. And congratulations on your new contract, by the way. Yeah, you just, thanks. You thanks. just signed five years, right? Through 2027? Uh, correct. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I, you know, I kind of forget sometimes I'm a, I'm a, a contracted employee, you know, you, you know, sometimes at will is, feels almost better because as you're staring down a, a, you know, the end of a contract when the term ends, you know, it's like you, you wonder what's beyond. And so I was fortunate this spring to uh, be affirmed for another five years and, and couldn't be happier. That's great. Yeah, that's great. Congratulations. Well, and you kind of did the same thing, you know, with, with the basketball coach, this last uh, March madness, you know, there was probably, you know, we were talking, me and my, me and my family were talking that there was going to be some pretty decent eyeballs on them and uh, you know, locking them up 
keeping him here at Fort Collins and at CSU was, was huge. I mean, obviously he's building a great culture around and, you know, both culture and uh, both student, strong student athletes and winning, which is yeah. awesome. Yeah. You, Nico, I mean, there's a lot of great coaches, but you know, Nico certainly one of those and, and has developed our program in a way that I think our fans have responded, um, you know, has, you know, it's so much different now with the transfer portal and, and how you can construct a roster. But I think Nico's tried to stay true to what he believes is going to lead to success. And that's trying to identify first and foremost four-year students and then supplement if needed with, with transfers. But Nico's extraordinary and he is a, a, a force in the space of college basketball coaching. Um, you know, I feel very fortunate that he feels so good about the Fort Collins community. You know, all the things that we all enjoy here are things that he and Erica really believe in and they've got deep relationships. So it's, you know, the, the lifestyle is an easy one for him to embrace. And I think the way that we've supported basketball and the way the community has supported basketball, particularly as he's found higher levels of success has been great and, and hopefully will keep him engaged here for a long time. Hey, Joe, you mentioned the transfer portal. Can you give like a Cliff Notes version for our listeners and viewers of what's going on with that? I mean, it's been, you hear it all the time with, you know, the NCAA and, and all these sports, but what, the transfer portal, if you can give yeah, us yeah, a of that. Yeah, probably I think about, you know, my timing might be off a little bit, but I think it was three years ago. In the sport of football, men's basketball, you're restricted to a, a one-time transfer and, but you had to sit out a year in residence. So if you decided to move from one university to the next, you couldn't compete in that most immediate season. You had to sit out a full year okay. you could be on scholarship, but you weren't able to compete. And that was unlike all the other sports, there was more fluidity. Students that were participating in Olympic sports could transfer and, and be immediately eligible. So the NCAA uh, made a decision to just you know, uniform, the, the transfer rule. And so football and men's basketball for the first time and women's basketball, sorry, mm -hmm. were then allowed to transfer uh, still one time, but they could be immediately eligible. And so they, it, as a way to facilitate and help students that were interested in doing that, the NCAA created the transfer portal, which sounds like a little bit like Star Trek, but it's not. Um, so a student just raises their hand you know, fills out the appropriate pa paperwork and forms a current institution, and then their name gets dropped into the transfer portal, which is a viewable database by every Division One school. So then that helps them with basically the marketplace of where they may might find schools having interest in them, and and then they can, you know, begin the dialogue with a, another school, decide if that's the right opportunity for them, and and then pivot to that new opportunity and, and play immediately. So whenever they are on campus, they're ready to go. So it, it's, you know, it's changed. I think in a lot of ways, I think it's, it's a very good thing. You know, everyone wants flexibility and, and, and opportunities in their life. But the other thing I think that gets missed is, you know, the transfer rules, the previous ones were put in place to, to help maximize and optimize academic success. And so if a student transfers, you know, multiple times in their career, it's an inhibitor to success in the classroom because that makes often, sense. oftentimes, you know, the, the work that you did in another school that the credits earned aren't automatically going to slide into the other school, particularly in your major. So it, you can get behind and your eligibility clock is, is still, you know, at four or five years if you've redshirted. And so you could, you could end up exhausting eligibility and not have your degree and still, you know, have 30 or 40 hours to finish that are on your own dime potentially that point gotcha yeah almost like when you go into that portal or anything like that it's like online dating like who else is out there that wants me <laughs> you know, you know it, it's very much like that and it's you know it, it you know in athletics you know we're a hyper competitive environment so it's you know i mean you know those, those lead to very good things and then those lead to very you know unintended consequences sometimes that aren't aren't helpful to to you know any of the parties involved yeah and you talk you, you mentioned something, you know, a marketplace and, you know, something to go along with that is the marketability of players. And I have two, I have two questions that I kind of, you know, want to dive into is how do we attract that talent to Fort Collins uh, and CSU? And as far as uh, the actual talent themselves, the players, and then talent, as far as the coaches, how do we retain those coaches? Because Fort Collins is always, and CSU has always been 
seemingly a landing pad to the next, you know, kind of phase in their career. You know, you could go down the list. You know, Sonny is one of those coaches that, you know, turned down University of Miami to stay in Fort Collins and he's beloved throughout the entire community. And, but then you have other coaches that, you know, um, do quite well. And there's a lot of eyeballs. And I'm sure even considering yourself, you know, you've had quite great success. And I'm sure you've had conversations or people have had at least reached out to you said, Hey, come bring the success you've brought to CSU to our schools. And how does CSU retain that talent? Like, and how does Fort Collins become part of that picture? I mean, it's always listed as one of the best places to live. Is that part of the pitch or is it just win baby win, you know, Al Davis? Yeah, no, I, I, I think what, what I think is special about CSU and the Fort Collins community is, you know, just, just the, the mosaic that's created through our community by the, the entire experience. You know, when I, when I'm recruiting either students or staff, you know, I, I say institutions are about two things, people in place. And, and, you know, you know, you mentioned it and we all know it, that Fort Collins is one of the most uh, highly sought after places to live. I mean, this place checks so many boxes as it relates to quality of life. So that, that, that's the place box. And then when you zero in on the institution, you know, we're a tier one research institution, you know, the overall budget of the, of the university is close to $1.5 billion. You know, we've got high competency in our academy. We do over $400 million worth of annual research. So the strength of the academy is sound here. You know, we're, we're not a school that, you know, that, that isn't gonna help students, you know, fulfill life aspirations. And then the people, you know, I, I think we've done a very good job over multiple decades and even now continuing to attract great people. And when you put people in a, in a great people in a great place, you know, I think magic can begin to happen. And we, we see that in our sports programs. And when we start to have winning and success, it makes those decisions, even though it, it elevates the profile of a particular person or a program, and it might, you know, make them a target for, you know, a school that has higher resources to, to pull them um, into their organization to solve their problems. I think it makes it really hard for our people to make choices to leave too. You know, you, you, I use the example of Coach Hilbert all the time, right? Yeah. I mean, Tom, Just Tom is, yeah, Tom, Tom's amazing and has built an amazing program and we're, we're top 15 in the country in, in attendance. So it can be done here. You know, I mean, he's accrued more conference championships and more postseason play than any other volleyball program in our current peer group. And for that matter, you know, by, by any measure, most schools in the nation. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think Nico is the same kind of person. Ryan Williams in women's basketball, you know, had a, an amazing thread of four consecutive conference championships. And, you know, they're they're pulling themselves back to that, that, you know, level again, you know, I think soccer's developing Jay Norvell, who we've got in football is an extraordinary leader and, and an incredible coaching talent. And, and what each of these coaches is charged with doing is creating an environment that is sticky. And when I say that, you know, you talk about the transfer portal, you know, we want to identify talent that we can develop to help us win. Uh, we want to win with integrity. We're not going to compromise ourselves for any short-term gain by, you know, usurping a rule or putting the institution in, in a position where, you know, we diminish the brand. But, you know, if you can create a sticky environment, a place where kids feel like they're being fulfilled, where they're developing, where they're winning, where they're, you know, getting prepared for life beyond, it just helps, you know, the entire enterprise advance. And, you know, we've got 16 varsity programs. The expectation for each of them is that they perform at the, within the top three of the conference. If they're doing that, they're gonna they're gonna rise up, you know, every so often and, and bring a championship trophy home. And championships really frame the experience in an extraordinary way. I mean, I had the good fortune as a student athlete to be a part of championship teams at Michigan. I feel it's our obligation here to put our students in the same position because. Championship teams, when you come back for a union program, they, they, they carry themselves differently. They square their shoulders. They, they're back straighter. They're, there's just a deeper level of cohesiveness, and it lasts for a lifetime. And that's awesome. And I think we owe it to, to our students. You know, we put so, they put so much time and effort into it that, you know, we've got to create an environment where, where that's the expectation, but that's the culture that delivers too. Joe, you know, I was um, 
I wanted to get your thoughts. Mentioned championships and you know CSU and whether this the the volleyball and the basketball. Years ago, I was in the golf industry and got a chance to get to know Pat Hayden pretty well when he was the athletic director at USC. And I asked him, and I was just curious, and I was that's why I couldn't wait to talk to you today and just kind of pick your side of it. But he was like, you know, Murph, he's like, at the end of the day, now he's coming from USC now. He goes, the football program basically subsidizes every other sport. The money that they make, now USC is obviously USC. How does that work with CSU in the football program? I mean, we're, you know, the, the guys are playing Michigan. We were talking about it before we kind of got going today. That is a big national televised game Saturday, a ton of eyeballs on it. And I have to assume that CSU is going to be, you know, make a, a good amount of money from that. It's going to be good marketing, good recruiting. You know, you guys are going to have your commercials out there. How, how important is the football program in terms of providing funding for these other sports, other 16 you know, varsity sports that you guys have. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, our, our budget each year is just over $50 million. About, about a little more than half of that is self-generated through, you know, all the levers that we can pull to bring revenue to the department, whether it's ticket sales or concession sales, you know, our, our marketing partnerships with either Learfield for the sponsorship sales or our, our uh, distribution from the conference office for TV broadcasting license, good sales, donations. So all of those things that aggregate up to a little more than $25 million. Okay. And then we get direct institutional support from the university, which is in the form of, of just, you know, a direct subsidy to support athletics. And, and then we get student fees of about $6 million uh, from, you know, each of the students that attend CSU, they pay a athletics fee each semester. It's about, okay. it's, modest and in return they, they get access to our events so they don't have to buy tickets but rather student fee gains them access so when you flip back over and you look at the self-generated revenues the absolute lion's share comes from football the fact that we have an fbs program here on our campus um, I, i'm an olympic sport by product you know i mean i, I was a swimmer um, and, and i love all of our programs but when it comes to the ability to generate revenue, uh, we only have four sports that are ticketed. So four sports that have the possibility to earn revenue, and that's men and women's basketball, volleyball, all three are in the, the arena in Moby, and then football in Canvas Stadium. And the only one that would have any hope of cash flowing positive, if you're trying to run a business enterprise, yeah, yeah, to, to deliver a cash flow, um, you know, to have some some surplus at the end after paying all your expenses of as football you know volleyball can't do it women's basketball can't do it based on you know the, their current revenues and the expenses that are required to operate the program and even men's basketball when you put the scholarships and salaries and team travel against you know the the revenue earned it still it still is upside down you know those programs operate in the red so, have you seen Joe? Have you seen like with the new stadium that's on campus, which I, I love? I actually live right on College of Prospects, so I'm like five minute walk from the new stadium. It's wonderful. Have you seen uh, pros, cons? Like, how's that transformation from going all the way out to, you know, the west side of town? Yeah. Oh, I mean, we, we're, we're generating significantly more revenues with Canvas Stadium than, than we were when we were at Hughes. Um, okay. The, the response on ticket sales has been much more positive. The response related to, to sponsors that want to be associated with CSU and, and express their relationship, you know, through a game day or on the radio broadcast, um, you know, is, is so much different, better. That's um, great. You know, we, you know, even non-game days, you know, we, we had no opportunity. They used to mothball Hughes. So November through you know, April, you know, the facilities people would go out and really shut the facility down, turn the water off and, and uh, limit, you know, limit the utility use. And now that we're on campus, we do over 200 events, special events a year, you know, that could be a, yeah. a small meeting or a, a large, you know, three, 400 person event. Um, so, you know, that gives us an opportunity to generate revenue year round. And, and that wouldn't be happening at Hughes. And, yeah. you know, not to go back and relive, you know, the, the, the decision related to the, you know, bringing it to campus. But, you know, the one thing that was so unusual, you know, Hughes served us well for 50 years, but 
everyone I talked to, did you go to the game on Saturday? You know, they'd say yes or no, or are you a season ticket holder? You know, yeah, I am. You know, when's the last time you were back at campus on campus? And if they're a graduate, probably the most frequent answer was when I was a student. And that to me was just so weird, right? I mean, football game day is a way to connect with your alma mater, have a lifetime relationship with the institution. And and we have that now. So moving forward, you know, last five years and 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 what we'll have moving forward is you hear now, well, you know, yeah, last game I walked across campus, I had my son or my daughter with me. We looked at my dorm, I pointed my room out, we went to the Lori Student Center, we walked across the Great Green, you know, I relived all these great moments, you know, that to me put, put us at a deficit for 50 years where we just didn't have that, that connectivity, right? Well, 100%, like, I, I love going to the, like, I, I've done a lot of work with Ram Strength, and they do a big tailgate, and like, I tell anybody who's never been to a home game at CSU with a new stadium, <laughs> the energy and like, you know, you ride your bike over there, walk over there, it's awesome. Like I tell everybody, you got to try it out. I'm a, I'm a, I was a huge fan when they made that move as somebody who grew up here, for sure, born and raised. <laughs> well, well, and seemingly, you know, I was talking with my dad just the other day, you know, not, not none of the cons, but one of the big cons that everyone was concerned about, game day traffic and all the horde, you know, horrendous yeah. issues that were going to happen because of this hypothetical stadium that was coming to play hasn't played out. Like the transportation's phenomenal. Like people going west, south, north, east. Like, I mean, it just... They all go their own ways and seemingly like the traffic. Yeah. It's a little, it's a, there's, you can tell that there's a game, but not like yeah. we are not going within a one mile radius of the campus on game day. That's not happening. Like you can easily go from old town to, and with the max transit, the bike pass, like Chris was saying, how many people like are density. I, I mean, it, the, the cons of the parking and the, you know, the issues with people around Nothing. just has not happened yeah. not. Yeah, it was it was a total non-issue. You know, we yeah. spent a lot of time trying to, you know, build the appropriate experience for people, and 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 quite frankly, we we overbuilt it. You know, and what we realized is that just the the natural flow of campus and the traffic around it, it loads so much easier and it unloads, you know, yeah. incredibly more easier than what we had at Hughes, and it really doesn't interfere with those people that you know that aren't attending the game. You know, it doesn't doesn't inhibit anyone else's ability in the community to kind of move around on a game day. So, yeah. you know, we're thrilled with it. We're, you know, we want to continue to build the experience. And, and this year, you know, we've got really, really favorable kick times, you know, that we don't have any control over that. We're, sure. you know, those are dictated by our broadcasting partners, but um, you know, there's not a game that we have that, that kicks uh, later than 5 PM. And that's, oh, that's, awesome. that's unusual. That's awesome. that great. Yeah. It got, to, it got there. There was for the last, three years or so it got pretty late you know I mean midnight midnight one o'clock by the time you were getting home after a, after a game and you'd see students you know kind of leave leave the stadium after the first quarter whether that was going to hit the bars or whatever but now you know they can go to the game and then they can go to the the their, their, their after party I guess yeah yeah it makes you know it, it and I tell you you know you, you mentioned students you know and, and I failed to even bring them up until this point of the conversation but you know, they're probably our most important stakeholder group. You know, they're, you know, this is all about them. This is all about an opportunity to create an experience, you know, for them to create camaraderie and memories and, and make, you know, make it, as I said before, you know, sticky, right? So that they feel really compelled to have a long-term relationship with the institution. And they've responded, you know, as we've, uh, you know, um, emerged from the pandemic and we had fans and stands last year, the first three home games, we exceeded the capacity that we'd identified for students because we hold about 10,500 seats and we were well over 11,000 awesome. each of the first three games. So the kids were incredible. And then you, you dial back to the spring when basketball had, you know, it, it's really special season. We had five sellouts. The last five games were sellouts. The first two of those five were really driven by students. We just kept letting students in the building until the arena was full and and, you know, I mean, we got to keep that going. It's, it's just because they, they create the atmosphere, right? They create the energy, you know, and they, they make the other people that are in the stadium, you know, those of us that are older respond to the energy that they feed to the field and, and to the play that's happening. So and um, Moby can, Moby can get rocking. I mean, Moby is a, is a very cool venue and, you know, it's, even though it only holds what, like 7,500 or 8,000 or something 8, along those lines. And, but it's, it's such an intimate atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Like you're right. I mean, it is a cool, 
venue that yeah. really I, I, I love Moby. You know, I mean, it's 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 the concourses are constricted. It's difficult to get to the restrooms, concessions. But once you're in your seat and you're focused on the game, there's not a better a better rest to watch a basketball game. It's a great environment. Yeah. Hey, Joe, I wanted I wanted to shift the uh, the conversation a little bit and just ask you a just kind of a general question about the state of the NCAA and, you know, obviously with USC and UCLA joining the big 10 CSU is part of the mountain West conference as an athletic director at a huge division one school. What are your thoughts of what's going on? It almost feels like it's turning into the, the power four conferences are just taking over. And are you worried about the little, the little guy or the mountain West kind of being left behind? And what are your thoughts of what's going on with, you know, overall yeah, on the, on the one hand, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm disappointed, you know, the economic influences on our, on our space, you know, I call it space, you know, I, 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 I'm hesitant to say industry are, are what we see in everything, right? I mean, yeah. there's always a, a desire to consolidate, you know, at the top with, you know, the, the stronger, you know, more prevalent brands. And I think that's what we've seen in college athletics, particularly college football. This, this is all about football. You know, it's about right. other yeah. football. Um, so the last 20 years, there's just been, you know, this, this momentum carrying us forward and the decisions that were made in the SEC and the Big, Big Ten over the last two summers are just those examples of, of you know, those moves, you know. And so where, where does that leave us? Um, you know, I've always said, uh, since I've been a part of CSU, you know, we have a, a desire to play at the highest level possible of Division One sports and FBS football. And, uh, you know, we, and, and how do we do that? You know, we, we've got to do our best to be the very best version of CSU we can be each and every day. And, uh, you know, the, all these assessments right now are being made on, you know, metrics about how people engage around your program. Um, you know, fans and stands, you know, social media platforms, your broadcasts, you know, when, you're, when your content reaches, you know, a television audience, you know, who, who's watching and how many. Um, so, you know, it's up to us to, you know, th that's why we've had to fix football. We've got to figure out a way to, to get football successful and staying at a, at a high level of play. And when we're doing that, you know, I think we've got a genuine opportunity to, to you know, remain at the highest level of play. But but there is something different happening right now. You know, there may be, you know, we've always talked about the autonomous five for the last, you know, seven or eight years uh, with, with the uh, move by the SEC and the big 10, you know, there's separation even occurring within what's been, you know, referred to as the autonomous five. I mean, and, and it was a two by four to the head for everyone, but most, mostly for the PAC 12 membership when SC and UCLA pulled the plug and, you know, stated their desire to affiliate with the Big Ten. Right. That was unexpected and, uh, you know, really was, you know, just what was unprecedented about it was the geographic alignment, right? They're just, yeah, yeah, that made no sense. <laughs> I did, yeah. I did, like, good luck USC going and playing in Michigan in uh, November, yeah. December. I mean, they've, they've got to fly over half of America before they get to play a single opponent in their league. And that, mm -hmm. You know, usually conferences had some geographic alignment or, you know, at least some logical, you know, uh, pairing for, for travel and with only two members coming from California, you know, that, that's just, that, that's different. And that's just a, a pure demonstration of, you know, the broadcasting dollars driving these decisions. And so, yeah. you know, I mean, does that make us feel different or, you know, less resourced or more of a have not. I mean, I think there's schools in the A5 that are feeling more like we've felt the last 10 years than, Very true. you know, when you, yeah. when you peel away the broadcasting dollars from most of these schools that might perform at the bottom half of an A5 league, they look more like us than they look like Texas or SC or Michigan or Florida or Ohio State. So. Welcome know. to the club. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I've never, you know, we've never had, you know, budget has never been, you know, we've never used that as an excuse. You know, I mean, if you find great people and, and they, we take pride in punching above our weight. We take pride in, you know, I, I would love for them to remove a lot of the restrictions over the last 40 years that have been developed to try and create competitive equity. You know, if, if a school wants to go hire 25 coaches, assistants to coach football, 
let them do that. You know, I mean, we're going to figure out a way that creates competitive advantage for us. And I don't think it's that. I mean, then you've got to manage and, you know, get 25 voices, you know, to, to focus on the same things to create your culture. And I'm confident a Jay Norvell with 10 coaches can probably do just as well, if not better than some coaches with 25 assistants on their staff. So, you know, I'm, I'm just like, have at it, you know, I mean, let, let's just line up and play like we've always done and we'll see what the outcomes are. I like, I like Jay at, uh, at the helm. I feel like we you know it's always, it's always, you know, you got the excitement and, and then, you know, then reality hits, but I, I think there's a lot of excitement around town with, with the football program and then CSU athletics in general. And, you know, you talk about a competitive advantage and I think kind of a, another X factor besides, you know, everything else that we've talked about, but that I'm sure you're having to navigate and deal with is uh, the name image, name image likeness that has all of a sudden become a thing over the last, you know, couple of years. And, um, you know, I've seen a few athletes at CSU who've, you know, had NIL de nil deals or gosh, I hate that name, but um, image likeness. That's a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, shoot, you got a lot of, a lot of big money moving, you know, that's in Boulder, that's in, you know, Fort Collins that really is engaged with the athletic programs. And all of a sudden now, you know, these, I won't, there was, there's an athlete in Fort Collins high school football right now, not Fort Collins high school, but within the city that I've, I've heard. Uh, so rumors of being offered a hundred thousand dollars to go play at Mississippi state. And it's just like, Holy cow. Like what, you know, what kind of world are we living in? And then there's athletes like Mikey something, Mikey Williams or something like that for basketball. And he's an, he's a senior, I think he is. And he's already, you know, pulling in $2 million a year because of his, you know, his Instagram and all these different platforms that he's a part of. And there's, you know, Texas tech, I think they had a, a beneficiary giving them $25,000 per, per football or for every football player. And it's, yeah. It's just a, I'm sure it's just a crazy dynamic coming in as an athletic director. You're like, wait, <laughs> how are we going to navigate this? Yeah, it, it, it's, it is interesting. So our scholarships right now for everyone, and we try to provide up to the NCAA allowable limit for each one of our programs. So we spend almost annually $9 million in, in student financial aid. So room, board, books, tuition fees, cost of attendance. So $9 million is what we flow to students in the form of their athletic financial aid. And NIL is, you know, it was permissible uh, beginning July 1st of 2021. And the true intent, that was to allow students to take their name, image, and likeness and build a business enterprise around that and be compensated for whatever quid pro quo service that they were doing. And mm -hmm. And so it was, you know, it was viewed as, you know, businesses that might want to associate with a particular personality on a roster that they thought would be beneficial to elevate awareness for their brand. You know, they could do that. And we've had here some really true bona fide NIL, you know, programs uh, or, or student athletes that have benefited from that. You know, notably Trey McBride last fall, David Roddy in basketball, Trey in football, David in basketball. Uh, McKenna Hofschild on our women's basketball team had, has a few NIL deals and, and others do as well. When you look at an aggregate across the country, the reported data, you know, the average average earnings by NIL is, is less than $1,000, like oh, you wow. know, $1,400, $1,500. <laughs> but then you hear, you know, you do hear these extraordinary reports and those are probably more affiliated with maybe an unforeseen development in the NIL space. And that's what we refer to now as collectives. So that's where just a, a group of boosters get together, pool dollars, and then they manufacture a quid pro quo um, opportunity for a student and they flow cash to them. So it's, it's probably more pay for play. And yeah. the troubling thing is, is that you've kind of described Patrick is that it's, it's, it's ending up in the recruiting cycle as sort of an inducement, you know, yeah. If you come here, our collective will pay you, you know, fill in the blank, whatever. And, and that is not what was intended, but 
you know, I, I, I don't know, you know, we'll see where it lands. I think, you know, the NCAA, which is, it's, you know, it's a membership organization, you know, it's, it's made up of us, right? Every school that's a participant in division one athletics and in the, in the levels two and three levels too. But, um, you know, we, I don't think there's any appetite at the NCAA level to try and qualify market value. So we'll still hear and see, I think, you know, some of these extraordinary NIL deals that are kind of positioned through a, through a collective. Interesting. And, and I, I don't know if that's sustainable though. You know, I mean, I, I've worked in this in, in intercollegiate athletics for 30 years. I was, you know, majority of my career and even now, you know, very focused on fundraising. And, and I just, I don't know that people are going to feel, have the appetite to continually invest in a collective if they don't see the desired returns, you know, uh, if it were all about budget and spending, you know, there's about five schools in the country that are well over $200 million. And all they would do is mail their budget in and send all the trophies to us, but that's not how it works, fortunately. So. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's kind of a good, good point, you know, and I'm sure that, yeah, the kind of the outliers of, you know, the Clemson quarterback and things of that nature. And, Obviously, you, you, you hear that because it gets tons of publication or, you know, pub, uh, publicity. But um, one of the things you talked about earlier was, you know, integrity. And, yeah, buying wins, it, it doesn't taste very good. Yeah, you know, but we, we've got we've to gotta figure out a way to make this the most attractive opportunity that we can. You know, I mean, like, you know, we, we responded a few years back when cost of attendance was permissible. So that was an enhancement to scholarships. You know, there's been a Supreme Court decision that's referred to as the Alston case that allows a university with student athletes to make academic awards of up to almost $6,000 per academic year. You know, we haven't been able to budget for that yet, but, you know, we'd, we'd like to figure out a way to respond. And it, you know, in our case, it might not be $6,000 a year for every student athlete, but if it's something it gives our coaches at least an opportunity to you know, if a, if a student athlete asks, well, what, what do you, what's the university do related to NI or uh, Alston, you know, we'll at least have a response instead of nothing. Um, mm -hmm. And then even in, in our own community, I think, you know, NIL is growing. There's more businesses that, that have shown a desire to associate with our students. And uh, there's even been a movement towards creating a collective by some of our alumni. And and I, I would support any and all of those things. You know, I, I think that that helps us. You know, we're we're never going to be a place that that can do something. You know, that's headline capturing. You know, as it relates to the NIL or collective space, but we don't have to be right. Mm -hmm. You know, Alabama was always going to get their twenty-five. Florida was always going to get their twenty-five. You know, these recruiting classes are going to kind of fill as they always naturally would, and we'll identify the the, the right level of talent that we can develop here. Now, the challenge will be, you know, you, you couple NIL with the transfer portal, and there may be moments where it won't feel very good to us if we've seen a student develop under the tutelage of one of our head coaches within our programs for one or two years or three years, and then suddenly they pivot and go somewhere else for their final year or two of eligibility because the NIL deal, the NIL deal was better. And mm -hmm. And, and I think the way we combat that is, you know, we figure out a way to create, you know, a really healthy environment where, you know, teammates love their teammates, where they love their coaches, where we're producing wins and we're fulfilling most everything a student is looking for and kind of that core experience. And then it makes it really hard. Do you, do you pivot for some short-term gain or do I, ride out the place that's invested in me, that's helped me become who I am? Do I leave my teammates for the uncertainty of how I'm gonna create a role on a new team? You know, I, you know, I mean, I, I think it just, it requires us to amp up our game to be the best version of who we can possibly be in every way. Well, and clearly you guys are, because honestly, I, my, my, my money was on Isaiah Stevens leaving this last year and, and uh, him sticking around really shows that he's dedicated to the culture and to the team and to his teammates and what uh, coach Nico Medved's, you know, doing there. Cause shoot, you know, with Roddy going and them doing, being kind of a one, two punch. So that was really exciting to see him commit to CSU for the long term Cause you know, he could have easily been 
very sought out from all of the power five top 25 schools. And I think he sees a lot of what CSU can be. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and a guy like Isaiah, you know, he'll have his NIL opportunities here. He already, he already has created some attraction in that space, but, but you're right. I mean, he feels he came here for a reason and, you know, he wants to fulfill that. He wants to be a part of, you know, putting us on a, on a track where we're, you know, accumulating championships and, and, um, you know, when you leave, you, you know, you, you effectively are kind of starting over, you know, that, that's sometimes hard to do. The window to be a student athlete is a short one. It closes pretty rapidly and every, every year, every season is valuable. And, you know, there's risk when you, when you go somewhere else, you know, you, you don't know the environment, the coaches aren't as invested in you and, and it, it, it can be, you know, it, you know, it can, I think, I think transferring right now has probably led to mo more unfulfilled expectations and uh, grass isn't always greener. Yeah. yeah. And finding, yeah. then finding more of what they felt they needed, you know? So. Joe, I got to, as a former, you know, you're a, a NCAA athlete or anything like that. <laughs> One of my questions I just have is what would you tell a, a incoming freshman that uh, is going to be playing sports at CSU, whether it's basketball or football, or what are some tips that you would tell somebody coming into a system like that? Cause obviously it's much different than high school. And you talk to like even professional athletes for like NBA, NFL players. And it's like, you know, when they were in playing in high school, it was a great team experience. And then as they get to college, it became more like a business. And then by the time they were in the NFL, they were their own little company on a, you know, on a team and stuff like that. So these young kids that are coming to CSU playing sports, what are some uh, tips and advice that you would tell them? Yeah, I, I first, I mean, I, I just parrot some of the thoughts that were shared by David Roddy. I don't know if you saw the little video capture after he was drafted 23rd in the nation. I didn't. By the NBA. But, you know, he, he said, you know, basically don't get, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, don't get focused on the glitz and glamour of a particular brand, you know, go to a place where you can trust that the coaches are going to invest in who you are and develop you. And, you know, in many ways, I think David made the unpopular decision to come to CSU when he had opportunities to play basketball at the A5 level in his hometown at Minnesota and go to your wife's alma mater, uh, Northwestern, but he chose CSU because he believed and trusted the coaches that are here. And obviously that trust paid off. And when I tell any student that's kicking the tires on CSU, you know, our, our coaches are committed to your well-being and to developing you to be the best that your potential will allow you to aspire to be. And, and I also tell students, this, this experience is hard. And it's going to be hard anywhere you go, but um, and it should be. And if and if there's people that care about you at a place, they're going to demand um, that you that you make yourself uncomfortable. And it's in those moments where you push through adversity where you find the greatest moments of growth. And and so you know, I tell them, be prepared. You know you know, you're going to be pressed in every way, academically, athletically, socially, to be the best version of who you can be. And, and it's up to you to how you respond around that. And I think too, you know, you know, they're going to be a part of a, a, a wonderful, amazing community, you know, that yeah. we've talked a lot about, and they're going to get, you know, take advantage of, of being a part of a world-class research institution, you know, there's a lot of things outside of athletics that can help you grow and develop and, and fine tune what your future aspirations are going to be. So don't don't miss out on sampling and, and exploring yeah. those opportunities. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm proud of what we offer to students. You know, I, I believe in, in the package. You know, I think one thing that I've really come to really appreciate about CSU is, you know, we're a land grant school and, and I think we live that mission every day. And that's about access to education. You know, 25% uh, of our students across the entire student population are first generation. And if you find your way to a college campus and you earn a degree, you have forever transformed not only your life, but the life of your family. And I, I think athletics lives that each and every day. When you look across our rosters, we've got a lot of students that wouldn't have had the financial means to have been a part of a university and, and experience higher education. 
And I think we, we serve the mission of the institution in a remarkable way. And I'm proud of that. No, that's great. And, you know, I think it goes to everything you just said. And, and I think what is this year is the highest freshman incoming class in the history of CSU, like the in terms of the number of kids coming in. I think I read that. I don't know if that's right, Joe, but, yeah. you know, Joe, I mean, Patrick and I can attest. We, we, we talk to families all the time that are moving to Fort Collins from all around the country. And, uh, and that goes to show just on the numbers that are coming into CSU as well as these kids keep moving here. Hey, I've got uh, so we've got, I've got we've got one question that we usually end with, and this one. But I have another question that I don't know if we can really dive you know dive into it too much. But you know, talking about CSU being a land grant program, kind of the trajectory of uh, of CSU right now. CSU is looking for a president, and uh, you know, if you could, you know, they had a kind of a, a community outreach um, of what people were looking for in a president, and if you could just kind of sum up of, you know, what do you think would make a, a great CSU president for the next, uh, you know, hopefully 10, 20 years. Yeah. Someone that loves intercollegiate athletics. And, <laughs> yeah. No, uh, it, you know, I mean, it, it I, I think, you know, it, as I said before, I think CSU attracts incredible talent. Um, you know, I, I think this opportunity for whoever participates in the process is, is going to get a chance to really understand how special this place is. And I'm, I'm really confident that, you know, our board who are extraordinary leaders themselves will identify an extraordinary leader for this campus. So it, it's, um, you know, I don't, I don't think there's anything that's, you know, broken about CSU. I, I think, you know, we're incredibly healthy financially, you know, and that, that, you know, the enrollment that you talked about with the freshman class, you know, that, that's what makes a campus healthy is attracting students. And, and, you know, we've done that, you know, I've, I've mentioned the research that occurs on this campus. So I, I think when you put the total package together, this is, this is a, a really special opportunity and they'll have a highly competitive candidate pool and they'll, the last, the last person standing will be handed the keys to a pretty extraordinary institution. I like it. Absolutely. I love Chris, Chris, lead, Chris, lead us out if you want. All right. Well, first of all, Joe, I got a bunch of other questions here, but we're just going to have to have you back on. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, thank you so much uh, for coming on. And we always, as Fort Collins, everybody knows we, you know, some of the most micro brews all around the world, if not the country. And so Joe, Patrick and I have our favorites, but what is your favorite little patio or watering hole or brewery that you like to go to uh, when uh, the NCAA is a, uh, causing you stress yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, probably probably my favorite place where i know i'm not gonna get myself in any trouble is my my back deck but there you go hey that's, you know, you're the first that answered the back deck that's a, <laughs> that might be but, mine too sometimes <laughs> but uh you know i i i there, you're right there's so many choices here of incredible beer and i do like beer but um this summer i've gotten quite attached to dominga which is one of uh oh so Hold on, there's curious faces on the screen. Yeah, Dominga. Oh my God. So it's a new Belgian brand. I think this is the second summer that they brewed it. Hmm. It's a mimosa sour. And, you know, if you get a six pack. I'm writing it down right now. Okay. Maybe buying another one. But for a summer refresh, uh, you know, Dominga is a hard one to beat. I, uh, you know, I'm impartial to the new Belgian brands. Um, if you go for a little bit smaller, you know, I, I got to make a pitch for uh, Horse and Dragon. Um, Love Horse and Dragon. Yep. I, I like the uh, Sad Panda for a wintertime go-to. That's a good one. I don't even drink coffee, but there's something about that that I really enjoy. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah. One last question, though. CSU, Michigan. Actually, this is going to come out after this game is already done, so it doesn't even matter. But anyways. What is your prediction for the football game? We'll see if you're right because this will come out afterwards. Yeah, no, I, I don't like to put a score on games, but right. obviously we're we're going in with the expectation that we can beat Michigan, and if we can't beat Michigan, um, I've never put a sports wager down ever, but I'd like to beat the spread. Um, <laughs> what is the spread? What's right? the spread? <laughs> I, I I think last time I heard it like 27 and a half. Who knows no. what it is right now? I, I think this will be a good first game for Jay. I'm excited. I'm I, yeah. I I really like him. I think he's going to be, he's going to be big for the football program. Yeah. But, you know, most importantly, I want to put everyone back on that plane healthy so that we, you know, yeah. we, we've got, yeah. uh, you know, the same team intact to continue to develop and compete. 
but but yeah, it's you know as I said before, you know mid, you know I, I spent what, let's see eight uh, I was thirteen years on the Michigan campus between being a student and a student a uh, student and a staff member and there's a lot of special things about it, but it's it's also a place where people can go in and win. It's Appalachian State proved that right. I I was Patrick. You bring it up, so I got to talk about it a little bit. <laughs> so I was on staff when we did lose to App State, and I've I've never felt like I was going to vomit at a football game <laughs> except for that one. It, it had my stomach in knots because I just I just knew that that would not be a a good response, and you got to face it on you know after the so game, face it on Sunday, got to face it on Monday and Tuesday until you play the next game, and oh. and the next game for us that year, the next game Michigan played that year was a was Oregon, and we lost to Oregon, and it was just it was just terrible. But then over. then they won every conference game for well, they got in a conference season, they won every game, and we played Ohio State and lost forty two thirty nine in Columbus. So. Oh, and I shouldn't say we, but it was we back then, and it's 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 not that now. But that's not that bad of an end of a season to such a rough, rough start. So yeah. that's 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 good yeah. for them because all I remember is the loss, and I mean, just I mean, I think it's a historical loss. If you put a top ten worst losses in <laughs> you know ever, I think that's probably on that list. Well, now that if if we can take another minute, I'll I'll just sure. expand on that. So you say historic, right? So that was the season that the Big Ten launched the Big Ten Network in partnership with Fox. Oh no! And and we were the, the the Big Ten was really working hard to gain carriage. So that's distribution, you know, to get affiliated with cable networks to, you know, get the fee paid so that would be a part of the basic package, right? And they they were having trouble in some particular markets, but that Michigan loss launched truly launched the big 10 network because there were so many people that were fans of other places that wanted to watch michigan lose so (laughs) so they it it became an instant classic and it was i don't know how many times it ran on the big 10 network but it it got them the right financials with the carriage distribution and it launched the big 10 network everybody in ohio state would just have viewing parties of that game hey we're gonna start (laughs) the season up watch the it's one of those things where it doesn't matter if people are talking positively or negatively about you as long as they're talking about you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, and then one, one more thing. They, they bust up from North Carolina, beat it, beat Michigan, picked up their guarantee check and bust home. So it was, it was amazing <laughs> for them. <laughs> yeah. You get paid. Well, that's, I, you always forget that, you know, you get paid those type and it. <laughs> Gosh, I just, how could you imagine writing that check? Just saying, we just, you know, lost to, here you go. <laughs> you sign those contracts expecting a victory. And it's like, oh, absolutely. You know, when you got to pay the loss, it's for the loss. It's awful. But yeah. Oh, that is too good. I love that story, Joe. That's a great way to end it. Well, we're going to have you back. This was too good. This is too good. I had too many more questions, but we got and more stories as well. We'll have to dive into those. Absolutely. Appreciate you, Joe. Thank you for joining us, and good luck this 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 year. You know, uh, yeah, thank you. Football, basketball, swimming, track. You know, you Rams, volleyball. Good luck to you, and and uh, wish you all the success. Thanks, guys. Appreciate all it. All right, go Rams. Care. All right, see you later.